decentralized healthcare and biosensing with Winos. Hello, everyone. Welcome to join Winos decentralized healthcare and biosensing discussion. I'm Ryan, the webinar host today. Since we have friends all over the world, so I would like to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of you. Welcome. Winos is a biotech company focusing on promoting decentralized healthcare and biosensing. So we would like to offer a platform to connect experts and various players who share the same vision and currently working in the decentralized healthcare or biosensing space to our live webinar and discussions. We endeavor to share the data development in the field and create value for you, for our business partners and our clients and to create awareness and business opportunities to accelerate the development of the decentralized healthcare ecosystem. So today, we are very excited to have Dr. Daniel Fosik here, the co-founder and CEO at Dustlab, to be our speaker. He will bring us very interesting, insightful, and inspiring sharing on the topic of use cases for capillary blood samples in the European healthcare ecosystem. So before we start, allow me to have a brief introduction of Dr. Daniel. Dr. Daniel has over 10 years experiences in high profile roles in leading healthcare corporates, such as Simons, Medtronic, make him a passionate healthcare entrepreneur in the medtech, pharma and lab space. Uh, Dr. Daniel is now the co-founder and CEO of Dustlab, a biotech company provides digital infrastructure for medical diagnostics. So today we will share, uh, he will share his insight on decentralized healthcare. That's welcome Dr. Daniel. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for that warm intro. Thanks for having me. So I'm looking at a little bit of participants, you know, <clears throat> would be interested of course, to, to know from where all over the world you are. I see some at least European names, some I know, some I see from Switzerland, for example, some seem pretty German. So um, I will talk about Europe today. Um, and I think Europe is just one area of use case. I think definitely we can go beyond, but I will try to guide you in the next 30 minutes in a combined journey, but you know why also we founded that lab. Um, because this is building exactly on use cases, I think that are essentially of interest for more accessible lab tests. And I will try to make it to, to dive deeper on some use cases on some, I will have to have it a bit higher. Um, but let's have a discussion about this. Happy to hear also your thoughts. Um, after my discussion, I think it's planned that I will share some slides in the next 20 to 30 minutes, but I'm really looking forward to, to discuss these. So let me briefly share my screen. <clears throat> and I hope you can see it. So what I will guide you through is a little bit from, you know, why we founded as lab. This has a lot to do with uh, access to lab testing and decentralized also capillary blood, number one. Um, but also, you know, I will, of course, give you, first of all, a little bit, maybe also for the ones that are not in Europe, a bit of over overview, how is the European market structure when it comes to lab testing? What are challenges? And I think, of course, 
the healthcare system and systems in Europe as they stand. They're serving, you know, millions of customers a year. But we definitely see also driven by COVID a strong evolution of new care models where we have new providers in healthcare who want to have a different level of access when it comes to testing. So that's why I'm trying to speak really about use cases and make it as crisp as possible. I think a little bit briefly, you know, what's the mission of this lab? And I think then Brent's ports are already quite a bit, you know, why we love this topic and why we are passionate about it, why we invest also, you know, quite a lot of resource and also money into it. Because, and I think everybody in this call knows it, testing is very pivotal for medical decision-making. So 70% of medical decision-making is based on, on a test result. What do we see as a challenge and what is therefore our mission and the impact that we as this lab want to create is we want to improve health outcomes. And how are we doing this? By enabling simple universal access to medical diagnostics. If you just read this or let it sink, that means, you know, simple universal access means, you know, we may have to think about different levels of access for diagnostics. There is definitely today access to diagnostics, but the question is, is it simple? Is it universal, you know, so that, and can we structure it better easier and also more digital than the way it is today. The impact we want to generate is if that diagnostics become more accessible, we believe the medical decisions and health outcomes will improve and overall costs will decrease. So that means we hopefully can make in the long run a contribution into value-based healthcare. That means you know patient-related outcomes, but also of course, clinical related outcomes will improve and costs will decrease. I think this is very important for systems. If we cannot prove with all the initiatives that we have also around capillary blood sampling, decentralized blood sampling, if we cannot prove this at the end that we can generate better outcomes at lower costs, I guess we will not scale big in those systems, irrespective of what kind of system that is. The, all, the, the whole space, and there is a very nice, uh, publication out there, I think everybody could read that is, it's evolving. And it's at the moment strongly evolving. This quote on the right side is from a venture capital fund from the US. And it's summarizing pretty nicely. So if you copy that, uh, that quote, you're going to find the article right away. It's super interesting to read through it. It's talking about diagnostics as a service. And they're talking exactly about new as basically new ways to access lab diagnostics to make this more convenient also, you know, for new, new kind of providers, you know, to get access to that. But I come to that later on in my presentation. Let's briefly look at, at the world, first of all, about lab testing. What are we seeing at the moment? You know, let's look at America. Let's look at, and we, that we, we deliberately speak about EMEA. So take the one in the middle, that's basically Europe, that tells you a little bit how big is testing and what are the key assessments and key challenges that we see in those markets. So in Europe, what we see is a bit in difference to, to US where we have two big dominating providers uh, when it comes to testing on the lab side, we see still a quite fragmented landscape. There are now, of course, many people in this call, I guess, who should say, well, Daniel, what are you talking about? We have Synlab and Unilabs and the Sonics of the world. You may be right. Yes, there are. I think those lab groups are huge. They have consolidated strongly. It depends a little bit about geography. I will show you in a second. 
But when it later on comes to, you know, what is their offering? What is their current business model? What's their role in, in an ecosystem? It's clearly defined when we more think about of a digital health ecosystem that is more loosely organized, more tech enabled, um, where new providers come in, what you're gonna see is that those providers in Europe, this is at least what I can see clearly, is there is a lack of that experience to participate in such a more digital ecosystem. And those ecosystem, basically the main drivers in such an ecosystem, are new providers in, in who deliver care. You know, For example, telemedicine providers, symptom checkers, new hybrid care providers, they wanna have access to that. And they are confronted with getting access into a which seems at the first instance, very consolidated landscape, but still is fragmented. Um, it's highly regulated. And you, we could also you know, show numbers of labs and that's maybe interesting what we know in Europe. So Europe means you know, Europe 28 um, plus Switzerland and so on. We see uh, roughly about 16,000 labs plus tons of lobotomists around. What we also see is that those labs have oftentimes, you know, very different lab information systems. Maybe a thousand different types are out there, so it's pretty tough to 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 integrate with. So that means the consolidation has started, yes, on a first level. And those those brands, uh, those those big companies, but also very how should I say smaller ones, family-owned labs, they are looking for areas to grow to use the utilization of the underutilization of the labs and to grow into a digital incremental business. If you look at Europe, of course, you also have to focus, you know, on the size of the markets. It is Germany, it is France, it's Italy, it's Spain and UK. Those are the real big testing markets um, that we see out there. Out more than this in Europe, I think, uh, of course, you can, we love Switzerland, you know, I think I saw, uh, I saw at least Leona from Switzerland. Switzerland is amazing in terms of market size. It's 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 not that big, but it's definitely a market, you know, which is very interesting where we can discuss what a potential use case of decentralized capillary blood sample could be. So what is how is the market segmented? I think everybody knows this. We can more or less jump over it. I think there is definitely a provider side of it. You know, we have hospital labs, non-hospital labs. My discussion today would be more around outpatient. So that would be more on 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 how should I say um, e, how should I say the, the first sectors of care when you think about running through a pathway. That means the lower complexity, not the hospital. I know we have the highest density in diagnostics in hospital, but I think that accessibility to to testing is more relevant when we really think about the initial the initial um, uh, you know new virtual sectors of care, for example, which I will discuss later. Which disciplines, what are we looking at? For sure, it's, you know, uh, when we look at decentralized and about access, it is about the 20 top parameters, for example, when it comes to, you know, the normal blood count. So that means we are talking a lot about clinical chemistry. Um, that's what it is. And for sure, we look at therapeutic areas where we have, you know, at best, where we can make an impact, and impact means maybe you remember yourself about the vision that I told you, you know, where we can at the end create really an, an impact when it comes to medical uh, outcomes, but also where we can reduce costs. So, what should we look at? I feel is oncology, is infectious diseases, it's diabetes. You could easily add cardio cardiology to it. You could easily add chronic kidney disease to it. I think those are 
big therapeutic areas to look at where also new providers in care are looking at also more lifestyle related tests. Um, but we as this lab really look at what are medically relevant tests. And there you come definitely, you know, what is the, the small and the, the, the big, so to say, panel that you can test, you know, and for sure the big dream is, can we do this from very small amounts of blood um, potentially even taken by the patient himself, so a lay use at home. If we look at the organization of the different healthcare systems, we may see, I think, different markets being open for such decentralized um, infrastructures. So if you look at, at Germany, you have a quite a high proportion of, of, uh, of non-hospital laboratories. The sampling infrastructure in Germany is organized mainly around the GP, so the general practitioner. They are a doctor and sample taker in one. That you're going to realize later on when I show you a pathway becomes a challenge because when you think about more virtual and hybrid providers, they may not want to lose that patient to a GP. You know, And also with a GP, I think everybody living in Germany would agree it's not a nice experience getting an appointment. You have to wait. You're sitting in a waiting room and stuff for oftentimes, really sometimes getting a blood sample and a minute of discussion with a doctor. I think we can organize that differently. But even for, for countries like France, Italy, and Spain, and we are also active as, in Spain as a company, where you have a higher portion of, of hospital labs, but where you have non-hospital labs at very, how should I say, high numbers, but at, you know, how should I say, very, you would think accessible. You know, you have, for example, in Spain, like 400, 450 independent labs, very small size. They have like phlebotomists, they have sample collection sites. In, in Italy, the same there, you have roughly a thousand labs and the same you also see in France. You may think you have this infrastructure where you can simply walk in, but from the consumer slash patient's point of view, there is a high desire to have this even more accessible. Do I, why do I even have to go somewhere to get a sample for a test? Why can't we not, you know, put this, for example, into a pharmacy, which is closed or why can't we put this into a setting where we send out a box that arrives the next day with Express, you know, in an Amazon-like experience and you send it back and you have your results. So these are definitely use cases for microblood samples. If you look again at, you know, the, the levels of conservation, I think this is maybe also some read through for you after the discussion. It's basically summarizing again what we said. Germany is consolidation seems quite high but it is definitely as it's so centric around the gp open for complete new models of care when it comes to or or models of testing where you can think of completely different infrastructure that you can use and build to 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 get this in front of patients even in those countries where you have the accessible infrastructure you have strong use cases for that because the evolution of more virtual providers who want to make this super convenient Amazon-like experience. You definitely have that. And if you look at UK, in UK, you may think, you know, in NHS, everything is fully integrated, nicely done. The biggest proportion of companies being active in that space you see in UK at the moment. So it's interesting, you know, um, of course, many companies use UK as a bridge to US, but UK in itself, NHS, where you have a full public service, uh, you know, there is a strong evolution of those of those models 
more in an out-of-pocket world, but which will which find their way already into the NHS system. So let's briefly look at numbers of markets. This is normally a slide that investors, you know, uh, do definitely enjoy when they think about how should I should I put money into that? Is the vision good in a market that is big enough? I think the market definitely is big enough. We see the lab locations that we have. So there are tons of labs in, in Europe. And maybe let's look at the smaller number down there. The global direct consumer market seems to be comparably small to the overall lab service market globally, but it's growing fast. It's growing super fast. And I think we, we definitely see that COVID has done has done something good to, to, that, uh, to that environment because suddenly people understood, first of all, what is a test? What is a lab? And they found, you know, okay, there are sampling sites, you know, in my city, I can walk in, I can book myself a slot. I don't have to wait, it's fully digital. And by the way, I also get my results digital. So I, we believe COVID made a very positive impact on the whole progression of that. And this is, Read that diagnostic as a service paper from Marissa Moore earlier. She summarized it nicely, including all the challenges, but it's definitely, I think, something that is at the moment also seen, by the way, by, by venture capital investors very highly, building such an infrastructure for more accessible testing that this has a high value for, for, that, for those healthcare um, ecosystems uh, in, in those countries. If you look briefly at Germany and Spain, this is where we are. What challenge do we see if we look at labs? You know, in Germany, they want to grow digital. They want to, they want to, you know, grow into digital incremental business. They see something is forming. They want to participate. Um, and in, for all those labs, it's true. They all have capacity left. So if, we, if you know all the utilization curves of of labs, they're on average all underutilized. That means they're all looking for incremental business because it will simply help them grow their, their, their unit economics. Um, in, in Spain, what we see is also rapid digitalization. We still see in the private sector, which is quite big, there are tons of paper involved. So you, you may think there is an infrastructure which is accessible, but it's not digitally accessible. It still relies on big samples of blood and it's not something that is easily accessible at home. For the providers, in both markets, you see stronger evolutions of virtual care providers. You see more intersectoral care models. That means, you know, also the Germany, for example, hybrid care models is something that is driven by the legislator. Um, in Spain, we see a strong evolution of healthcare providers in the outpatient space who want to have access to professional sampling but very accessible for their patients, very digitally also accessible, and not necessarily in the infrastructure they have it today. So basically embed this more into people's life. That's why a pharmacy or even, you know, a drugstore as we see it in UK, you know, go to Boots, go to Super, go to super Drug in, in, uh, in the UK, you're gonna see there, they have tons of test offerings out there. Oftentimes buy it, take it to your home, um, but why not have it there, have like a health corner where you would potentially also, you know, you know, at least consult patients on a very low level where you help patients taking such a sample and where also maybe potentially, you know, you, you can get, you know, um, 
at least a technical infrastructure also for older people to take a teleconsultation, you know, to help you, you know, understand also, you know, health conditions. I think that's an interesting point to look at. And if you look at health insurances, of course, they, they always want to look at cost. Cost down is, is the mantra overall, but they also want to want to drive, you know, digital engagement. They, they say, you know, they're fighting, so to say, for, for in a private world like in Spain, they're looking for, um, for new customers, but, you know, they want to offer also the German public system, which is 90% of the market looks at improved digital engagement. So you see those, those ones paying it at the end, there is definitely the will to pay for solutions that will that will make healthcare more convenient, more accessible, but we always have to have a, a very, very clear view on costs. Only if we can prove that, so to say, the total cost of a pathway is less than what it is today, then they will really buy it. Briefly about us, what is does lab? We thought we were founded 2020. Um, we are active in Europe in that space. We perform more than a million tests via our platform. Uh, our founders are, they have all either a strong healthcare background as myself or a strong tech background as Etienne and Jeremy. Uh, but also, you know, Björn von Siemens is, is a co-founder. You know, he's, uh, he founded a big company, a platform company in surgery space. Uh, but, you know, we have very specialized people in our company who specifically also build products that are that that are you know not in the market yet, but always in a partnership mode. And of course, that's why we also discuss with Vinos, because we want to think jointly what are ways to make testing more accessible and integrate these into those new offerings. And the offerings you see on the right side, you know, we started with diagnostics providers to, to help them with our digital platform. But our key strategic initiatives are currently centered around virtual and hybrid care providers and health insurances making their offering them even, you know, complete new care pathways or prevention pathways uh, where testing plays a pivotal role and which is so easily accessible for people that you, for example, can increase compliance rates um, in prevention areas like colorectal cancer where this is definitely something you know which people don't want to do but if this would be more accessible our strong hypothesis is it would be accepted bigger where we see backed so you see you know a seed round of 6.2 million is definitely not on the lower end uh, so you see investors do believe this is something that the market uh, needs and the system needs so briefly about use cases in on a higher level we talked about the diagnostic landscape, which is fragmented, which is archaic still. And we talked about, you know, that there are new providers. If we structure them a bit, we have digital providers, symptom checkers, telemedicine providers, FemTag, digital therapeutics. We have hybrid care providers and we have the, the more, how should I say, analog is maybe unfair, but the current ones, you know, the, the majority of the system with GP specialist hospitals, which all require tests. For analog, for the current ones, for analog, this is clear, there is a standing system on how they operate. Let, but if you look at, for example, a telemedicine provider, what is telemedicine offering at the moment? What's the problem of telemedicine? 
it's mainly speaking medicine. It's mainly, you know, psych, uh, mainly psychology. It's super, how should I say, consultations, but it is definitely not very complex or how should I say the, the normal GP, uh, the normal GP cases that they're seeing there. So for them, it is normally they want to have countrywide access to lab diagnostics because they all know the 70% relevance that I discussed earlier. The only problem is how can I get access to such an infrastructure at scale countrywide? So what are they looking at? They look at a partner that offers them this access because they all tried it. They all tried capillary blood sample. They all tried finger pricking. They all tried somewhat urine and stuff like that. Most of them really gave up because they realized the, the, operation, the, 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 the operations behind it and the tech integration is definitely not simple. So it is, you have to make a combination of offering, you know, the best possible test in the most accessible way. So we work a lot with self-sampling tests, finger prick, stool, urine or swaps, but also professional sampling. And what is similar importance to the test in itself, the parameter is for those digital providers, they want to have this in a in a consistent data quality. So they, that means they want to have a standardized data set based on internationally recognized standards like Fire, Lines, Nomad. And most of them, they want to have it as an API integration. So they don't, they, they, they have their own user flows. They want to embed this into their current journeys. Um, and they want to have this at best fully reimbursable. Why? Because out of pocket is only a very small portion of the market. If you really want to build something big that scales, you have to go into reimbursement. We offer this uh, in Spain and in Germany that those tests that we offer are fully reimbursed. And with this, you can unlock growth for those digital partners. A big use case for, for, for example, you know, taking decentralized blood is hybrid care. Why? Let's think about the following. You have a patient who is under the impression or who has, so to say, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the assumption they, they're on, on diabetes. So what are you doing? You do tons of testing, professional, you go to a diabetologist, you go to a GP before. Let's assume you're diagnosed with diabetes. You will get potentially medication. So what do you have to do normally on a quarterly basis to get your re-prescription of the medication? You need to test. In today's world, in a GP world, what would you normally do? You have to go back to your GP. He takes a sample, he sends you home. Maybe then he calls you and says, yeah, it's everything okay. You can pick up the prescription and go to the pharmacy and get your medication. Why don't we do this differently? Why don't we say the following? Once it's diagnosed, you know, once the initial prescription is given, on a quarterly basis, either we send him a self-sampling kit for capillary blood sample, you know, do it at home, do it on your own, if it works, if the clinical quality is, is given, or we send them into a highly accessible infrastructure. For example, a pharmacy around the corner, which has a Vinos device, they assist the person taking the sample, but it's, it's something that is not centered around the doctor. It's more integrated into your daily life. You go home, the next day, the result is there and a virtual doctor, a telemedicine provider, could do the re-prescription, could trigger your, 
could trigger your, your medication, which arrives the day after uh, via post. You don't have to go to your doctor. If everything runs normal, you don't have to go back. That means for those, for those hybrid care providers, they have a physical infrastructure, but they only want to see patients once you come into a triage that is, um, that is, that is critical where you have to see patients. If we briefly look at, at the right side, you may think, well, providers is, is for me all clear why they need this and why they're interested in stuff like that. Um, I think GPs, let's see if there is a need for that. I think definitely there is a need for certain specialists when they move into more that 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 uh, that hybrid care provider world. I don't know this chat, is that for me? Okay. Um, the what is interesting is is pharmacies pharma companies but also health insurances are looking at that space at the moment you know at full speed not just in germany but also in other markets why for example a pharmacy because you know they're seeing a lot of competition from online pharmacies but i think what they really have as an asset is they have trust they have a very strong brand and normally this is one of the first first infrastructures where people go to patients go to when they need so to say medical help so it would be just natural to upscale them and and uh, you know build in not just testing i believe it has to be a bit more but testing can be a pivotal uh, and an essential uh, uh, offering to really become a new provider when it comes to testing in that space also diagnostics providers the big ones in the industry we know we're working not just with one, they're all definitely looking at how can we facilitate this capillary blood sampling at low volumes, you know, in different settings, be it at home or be it somewhere semi-professional. That's interesting. Health insurances, as I described earlier, the same. Why? Because they also understand that this convenience piece they have to offer to their patients. And if it's doable, if it's and if it's cost effective, and if the outcome is similar to a on-site uh, um, uh, treatment with a test, hey, then let's do it at home. So that's an incremental service which they want to offer. So let me jump. I think not many slides left. I think we can honestly jump over that. That's basically what we have, our platform, the base integration. We use all different kinds, self-sampling, professional point of care. But a very, a very, this is, we just took out the logo, to be honest. Uh, these are slides that we use with telemedicine providers, where we signed two big partnerships just recently. If you think about them, what, I, what is the very specific use case? They acquire a patient in a consultation, be it, be it so to say, sync or asynchronous, be it we you know with a live doctor or an algorithm behind it. They say you as a patient would need a test. What then that doctor or algorithm would be doing, they would order, prescribe, slash purchase that test. From there onwards, we take over. That means, you know, for in that case, a self-sampling uh, capillary uh, blood sample would be packed and shipped. Uh, it arrives at, your, at the patient's home, normally the next day, unpack it with a clear guidance on how to do this take the sample, activate it, return it, so put it back into the post. The next day it arrives in the lab. The lab runs the analysis, depending on the parameters. Um, and then 
the, the data gets put back into the files of the telemedicine provider. The clinician of that reviews it, interprets it, and then ultimately notifies the patient and explains them you know, what to do next or triggers a prescription or something similar. Our, our somewhat dream is a bit, you know, sometimes why do we have to have a test, for example, only having after a consultation, you could also think of, hey, once I have a consultation with a telemedicine provider, you know, and based on a symptom checker, you may know, you know, and there are certified symptom checkers out, out there, by the way, who start now offering also which test parameters should be done. You know, you get already that, that, uh, that, those, those parameters, you could also take them up front. That means you could offer the patient, hey, go and get the test because then we can have directly a consultation where we can take decisions. That's something that, that motivates us. And that is a key difference where we can, I think, bring down timelines from first call to, how should I say, really diagnosis, I believe sometimes from, from, from a week or more down to potentially maybe a day or, some, or, or also hours. But this is only doable if lab testing is highly accessible. And for this, capillary blood is definitely a strong use case. I think that we discussed, to be honest. Let's briefly look at competitors, and then I'm done. You see quite a lot of companies and active in that field. You know, uh, we are a platform company. You also see those direct consumer companies only working with self-sampled. For us, self-sampling is a key component. Self-sampling but uh, capillary doesn't necessarily have to be self-sampled. It can also be professionally sampled because then we also can control better the pre-analytic phase that is important for the outcome at the end. So I think in general, there are different ways to use those smaller blood samples. Um, for many of those companies out there today, they go out of pocket, direct to consumer. We believe if we wanna make an impact, we have to be part of an ecosystem. We have to be part of the healthcare ecosystem. We have to be part of the regular way you, how you treat patients because only then you can at the end make, an, make really an impact. An interesting company who does it in the US is IX Layer um, at scale. And let's see if those companies, for example, let's get checked. We know they are moving into B2B more, but you realize, you know, uh, a year ago, this slide was not that crowded yet. So many people are going into that field. There is a lot of attention into it. Um, many of these want to own the test in itself. We don't want to. We are the platform we trust that we have professional partners that we work with in that field. That's it from my side. Thanks for listening. Ryan. Thank you so much for your sharing, Dr. Daniel. Uh, I think both Dustape and Winners share the same vision of the decentralized healthcare. So uh, it's our Q&A session now. Uh, please do not hesitate to tap your question below the Q&A box, and we will help you to bring your questions to Dr. Daniel. So uh, everyone uh, is typing the question. I think I can ask the a very first question. So Dr. Daniel, uh, what do you think the most challenging thing in capillary sample and how you are going to conquer it? 
biggest challenge I feel at the moment with Cavalry is none of those assays from the big providers in the labs are certified for this. So that means this is normally an off-label use for the lab. Technically, this becomes a lab developed test um, where the lab has to take the risk also for that from a regulatory point of view. What I know is that the industry is working on that and um, that this is a high priority for, for the big diagnostics companies. So my wish there is that we see more progress in that space um, because then at the, end, at the end, it's all about trust of a result. And when it's about trust of the result, of course, it's better if you know the assay is is already you know under is uh, is approved for for capillary blood. You know, um, I think that's a big one. The second big one, so that's all around. You know, is it is it so to say um, uh, uh, certified or not that use? The second thing is we have to find something that is highly automated because the lab at the moment I truly believe. And I'm not, you know, one of those standing for one of those lifestyle companies with lower volumes. If you really want to have big volumes that scale, you have to also find very lean operations, you know, where you can automate those capillary blood samples. Um, to automate this, you have to think a bit bigger than just the lab. What you have to look at is also the process on how you get that sample, which kind of cubes you're going to use for that. Because, for example, a big, a big experience piece of decentralized blood sampling is we developed a kit that is only that thick that it, that it works, that you can throw it into, a, into the normal post slip. Mm -hmm. And that's important because you don't want to potentially wait for the for, for logistics provider. So you, but, but it defines, you know, it's not defined by us. So it's a joint, it's a joint endeavor with the lab to say, okay, which of those mini tubes you can use you know to run on your lab machines to have it highly automized because only then also you can run these those capillary blood samples at prices you know on the existing infrastructure in the lab which are competitive and only then it fits into the reimbursement structure so it's many different facets that are challenging in, in, in this regard but we are attacking at the moment uh, all of the three that i mentioned in different ways i cannot share all of these yet but this is definitely something that is that is critical. Yeah, indeed. Okay, thanks for your answer. So this is another question. Uh, it's a long question. So if can you you can <clears throat> also open the Q and A box. I think that will be more clear. Yeah, I have it. Basically, I think the first one I'm more or less answered. Um, this is um, so the way we attack this is go in partnership. You know and go in partnership with with innovative diagnostics providers in that field who help you you know uh, build this and drive this there is i think a willingness um, to do this this is our approach to it um, and I, I i only can hope that soon you know we're gonna have more and more essays approved for it but as i said the essay in itself is only one cornerstone because you have to look at the overall process. You have to look at overall the cost structures to do that. We experimented, of course, also with your device, but also with two others. Um, and if you look at the unit economics, when using the device, that does not really fit into the picture yet, you know? So I think we also need more 
we need more drive to, to bring down those costs because then then we can only go back to the insurance and say, look, you know, it fits in the current reimbursement scheme. You know, a having a device that potentially costs you, um, you know, the ones where which you can only, for example, use single use ten dollars. They sound they sound good. The question is, how often do they work? How, how is the experience of the person using it? How often are they not working? And who pays for that? So who pays for those $10, $12 of such a device at the end? I think we have to come close to and just a German number, professional sample taking, a doctor gets €2.30. So we must come to a point where we do this for €2.30. Yeah, except for all the innovation, maybe, you know, some of that logistics and so on that comes on top potentially, but that's why this self-sampling at home is something that is, is a problem because it's expensive simply for, for logistics piece. So we have to all work on that and work together. We, as I, I would say, sometimes we, we, we younger companies, you know, we are challenging maybe more the status quo, you know, let's work with big industry partners on this and let's really co-develop this. I think we as smaller companies have a lot to bring to that to the table. Um, maybe not the deep lab work, but everything around the experience, integrations, the, the, the IT technology and so on to make this as the end something that is really appealing and really makes a step up in the experience in front of all the users. Yeah, okay, thanks. So there's another question. Uh, dear Dr. Daniel, many thanks for your presentation. May I ask how many clients are on your platform? Do you see any difference driving factors between during and after the pandemic? For sure. So during the pandemic, we had 150 clients live using our platform, IIT platform. Why? Because they were running test centers and so on. So they had a very high, high need for workflow solutions. Um, at the moment, the good thing is, is that that uh, you know we at least the perception is that the, the pandemic is fading away. I think by numbers it's not, but so we have those 150 still on the platform. They activate, deactivate from time to time. I would say we also have really several labs on the platform at the moment. The need for PCR is lower, but. At peak time, I can tell you where the biggest, the biggest re, how should I say, reallocator of PCR capacity outside the Netherlands. So this was just lasting for eight weeks when there was really a bottleneck. Um, but uh, now this is this is slower. But the, the good thing is the, the 150 partners, those were companies that were not engaging in healthcare before, oftentimes. And they found they found talent, they found people that like to work in healthcare for something more purpose-driven. By the way, this is also what we see now. People are missing in supermarkets and so on. You know, They were paying nicely at the time, but we realized, for example, uh, a German, in, in a, a big German, it's not a drugstore, but it's, yeah, it's kind of a drugstore. They offered PCR, uh, they offered, uh, they offered uh, COVID testing, first PCR, then antigen, Guess what? They found this interesting. They're in a business which is like one and a half, two percent margin. They found themselves in a business where they realized, oh, my brand does cover that. Uh, people like to come to me. 
So why don't we upsell, upgrade this? You know, why don't we offer more tests? You know, in our stores. Um, so we realized partners where we initially thought, you know, they were not there for for the long run. Some of them they really find their way. I think, and I think predominantly for Cavalier Blood Sample could be interesting partners for us. Yeah, but we're gonna have new partners. There are new partners out there now um for more complex testings definitely pharmacies are very interesting for us mobile nursing services are pretty interesting for us because oftentimes you have to fulfill also you know you look at your windows device look at the the, 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 the instructions for use it has to be professionally used so that means you have to have a nurse using it um, um and there are there are partners out there who are willing to engage and uh, onboard to our platform yeah, totally agree with you. So there's another question. Uh, any strategy to overcome the regulatory uh, harder on the test using capillary uh, blood sample? Find the lab who's taking the risk. <laughs> <laughs> who, 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 takes, who takes the off-label use risk and, 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 and builds a lab-developed test? That's our way, to be honest. Um, I can, in general, tell you the my my experience. Our experience is talk to smaller sized labs. Don't talk to massively big groups of labs. Talk to smaller ones. They are oftentimes more innovative. I hope I'm not dropping off because my basically that that thing in my ear says basically the battery is low. So uh, I hope it lasts. If if not, then I'll I'll dial in with my phone again. So may, you may lose me for for a couple of seconds. Yeah, I think it's okay. So um, this start of question. Um, another one is for a decentralized healthcare system, capillary blood should be very important compared to venous blood. So what's the key concern or critical issue of the capillary blood sample for following test? So from the, let's look at it from the doctor's point and from the system's point of view. The problem is they oftentimes do not trust in the quality of the result. Yeah, it's also a not developed here thing, you know, it's in general, it's against the standard. I think the acceptance, the trust piece is a very critical one. And that's why I'm saying, you know, that let's work jointly together with, with bigger labs and bigger diagnostics providers to develop something that gets that trust. I think that helps the most. And then let's find partners in that space who are willing to engage in that space you know, who, are, who, who do see that as a growth opportunity, you know, why did Superdrug in UK drive this, huh? It's a massive business. Look at Boots in UK, it's a massive business for them nowadays. They were engaging in that. So find the right partners um, and find the right partners who are also willing to overcome those obstacles or at least, at least push boundaries. I'm not a guy who says I jump over boundaries in healthcare because regulations are good but you have to find the ones who want to push it jointly with you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, another question is the legal base, basis uh, for blood collection and analysis in pharmacies in Switzerland is an obstacle. What de development do you see? Uh, is the Swiss population open to blood home sampling? I think first of all, the Swiss system I see it is uh, is is open for telemedicine you know this is there are specific 
um, contracts that you as a patient can have with your health insurance, you know, which makes it, I think, more affordable if you start with a more virtual treatment. So in general, with that, people understand the value of having something decentralized, number one. The openness for blood sampling, I, I wouldn't say this depends on Swiss, uh, Switzerland. I think in general, it's we have to make a great job making this, how should I say, easy to use, make the experience around better, make the journey better than it is today. So let's look at the process in Switzerland and how to get a sample today. I, I know there are differences in the German versus the Italian versus the French speaking and how to have that access, but I think let's not just work on, on you know, home, blood, home sampling, it's for me, how can we improve the journey of testing? And then people may accept also, you know, to stitch in the finger themselves. With the, with the, the legal basis, Leona, I think we're going to discuss in, 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 in two or three weeks uh, in, in a call. There are ways to overcome this, but there are also ways to simply accept what is there. And the question is, you know, for example, you know, with a certain device like Venus has, you know, maybe there is a person, a nurse in there, and it assists and the person does it there on their own. I think there are stuff we, which we have to really look into very detailed what the regulations in Switzerland are. Um, I can only say the pharmacies are super interesting, not just in Switzerland, because as I described earlier, super accessible, um, have a very high trust and brand. Um, and I think this is something that pharmacies can leverage also in this competition versus on those online pharmacies, retail, you know, that's, that's my take um, because, you know, people want to have this personal relationship. They have questions. And so you could also think about like an assisted self-sampling, you know, you do it on your own as a patient, but potentially in a pharmacy because, you know, to stitch into your finger in the right way is already not so easy sometimes. And so I think there are ways we can discuss on, on making this accessible and doable. Um, what we see in Germany, for example, is the German pharmacy lobby is somewhat, uh, on the one hand, open, on the other hand, not, because they always want every pharmacist should be able to do it. But there we realize already COVID has done something good. So people start thinking, is this something that, that we can at least discuss, sit down and, and, and ask, you know, why our regulations are as they are. But I'm not a believer in changing regulations very fast. We simply have to accept and understand really the red lines. And then what, what I'm telling to my team is let's understand red lines and let's try to find ways to sail as close as possible to it, not crossing it. Okay, thank you. Another question is, uh, any insight to validate capillary blood versus venous blood for blood glucose test using point of care devices? Well, any insights? we've been running is a comparative study of decentralized blood versus uh versus venous blood uh it was super interesting to see that the difference the population was small um was pretty comparable um but under certain conditions we did it basically in front of the lab so the logistics piece was super easy and stuff so pre-analytics was easy um i think this validation is you know be careful when you validate something like that. There is definitely regulations you have to adhere to, up to ethics committee and whatever. But you know, 
we have done it, for example, with a small lab, such a very comprehensive study. We try to squeeze as much as possible out of capillary blood samples, like 500 micro. We've tried how many parameters we can do. Uh, and it was interesting. We could do quite a lot out of these. Um, but, you know, putting that into a, a complete pathway with logistics and whatever, potentially cooling involved, becomes then tricky but work closely with the lab in general, find a very innovative thinking lab who is open to try new things, but really stick to regulations that are out there, you know? Don't do stuff that you shouldn't do. Um, but uh, we did it in a setting, uh, you know, with, we took, so to say, the, the, the capillary blood, and at the same time we took venous blood and made a comparative study. And also in that regard, I think that's touching already a little bit the next point. Um, we've tested it how it runs on current machines you know with certain the lab was trying different adapters to use that and so and stuff like that was also very interesting that's you remember me saying earlier it has to work at super high scale in the lab uh, that's essential yeah but hba1 hba1c lipids cholesterol is definitely one of the key use cases for decentralized capillary blood for sure Okay, thanks for your answering. So I think that's the, almost everything what we have in our Q&A box. So uh, today's webinar will be posted on YouTube, Spotify, and podcast. So welcome to follow us on these platforms. So don't forget to fill out our questionnaire after the webinar. Uh, your opinion is very important to us. So thank you so much for that. There was one, Ryan, there's one question I think a bit open, the last one from Mercy Jen. Okay, I think so we haven't fully answered that. Okay, so the last question uh, is also a long question. Yeah, but I think it's... <sighs> so the vocabulary, you know, what, what, what systems do we have? Number one is, you know, finger pricking on yourself, you know, take the right lancet, take a bit of a bigger one, then you get also the volume. The other one is, you know, the other two ones are those micro needles or the venous one, you know, is a combination of, of basically number one and, and device. Um, for me, it's in general, SS lab, we don't try to reinvent the wheel. We accept what is there, you know, let's run studies, you know, what is sort of say the best use and let's compare them to each other. Um, and I think we can be innovative in the way to improve quality you know, even have a self-sampling assisted with a person, you know, to do it in the right way is already a big process. So I think there is, first of all, more incremental progress to make on, on, on technologies that we have out there. Um, I personally, I'm not a medtech company. I would not develop something like this. I'm super happy to see more and more stuff coming in that, in that regard that would, uh, that, that what we could bring to our platform. Um, at the moment, we see like three, four devices mm -hmm. that make sense or, you know, take a big lancet, then becomes bloody, but then you get enough blood out of it that you can do a bit more than just one parameter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I think we already uh, done everything what we have in our Q&A box. So thank you so much for Daniel sharing with us today. And thank you all for participating in this webinar. Okay, thank you. See you thank next you. time.